You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this week is another Indie Talk week, which means I have my good buddy and co-founder of Bonsai Creative with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. Hello. What's up, folks? Did I say that I had you or that I had you with me? That's a good question. Either way, it sounds questionable. <laughs> <laughs> this, this week is an Indie Talk, and... That means I have my good buddy and co-founder of Bonsai Creative, Nicholas Bugs, here on my lap. <laughs> no. <laughs> Say how comfortable you are, Nick. Right, right. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, say, I feel like Princess in the Pea right now. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I don't know that story. What is that? What is that? Seriously? You don't know about Princess in the Pea, dude? I don't think so. Man, all right. They had to figure out if this woman was a princess, so mm-hmm. only princesses can, you know... They're, they're, they're so elegant and graceful and all yes, this stuff. They yes. would feel a pee under their mattress. Mm-hmm. So in order to test to see if this woman was a princess, they actually stacked up like 10 to 12 mattresses and put a pee on the bottom. And she had the worst, most uncomfortable sleep, mm. which let everyone know she was indeed a princess. Very, very good. It, it, are you comfortable with Disney uh, continuing to tell stories about the monarchy? Yeah, I don't know, man. I think there's something still fantastic about the monarchy. You know, the kings and queens and princesses. It's I, I know in in today's times it seems a little it or can seem a little arcane, but it's part of the fantasy of things. You know, I think little girls. Uh, I know my little girl, he still wants to be a princess. So right. yeah, and, I get it. But, but, but do you, you know what I mean? Like, do you want, because the truth behind a monarchy is uh, dominance in pain. It's, 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 <laughs> it's dominance over a realm. It's, it's, it's fetalism uh, or feudalism. The other word I just made up. Um, yeah. It's, it's feudalism. It's it's fiefdom. That's the word I was thinking of. It's it's making sure everyone is is sort of in a place of insecurity and imbalance to ensure the power and dominance of a, of one family. And I think that's why monarchies are sort of less uh, dominant today because they're not less common. Like if I think people think they are, they're not. There's Kings and queens in almost, I'd say, fifty percent of the countries in the in the world, right? Or something like it, yeah. Tribal families, things like that. Yeah, like Romania's got one. England obviously has one. Belgium has one. I think Sweden has one. Just like uh, a lot of times, they're like just like human props 
but uh, are, are, are like ambassadors for their countries now, although the taxpayers do give them a stipend. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine on the budget is like Queen Elizabeth's uh, like yearly stipend for her expenses and living quarters? I think it's something like $13 million a year. Yeah, that their security outfit, their security detail. Uh, you know, when they go on trips, all that kind of stuff is paid for. Um, but yeah, I think there's, you know, so for, so for Disney, it's just, it's the brand, man. And, you know, I say for them, yeah, go hard with the brand. You know, those Disney princesses are huge, you know, so now it's just finding the right new Disney princess to add to the team, you know? So yeah, I, I get it. It, it works, you know, it's part of the, the brand of fantasy that they create. So I'm not mad at them. I don't know if I'm mad. I still don't know if I want my daughters to grow up and be princesses or have the illusions of being such and then be absolutely disappointed by the real world. That stops, about, that stops when they get to be, you know, like teenagers anyway, man. Like, you think, so. you know, that kind of goes away. You think so. And then they have their first boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> so, so today there's like there's a lot going on because we're in the middle of a global pandemic. This is completely unprecedented. Uh, the rules are being written at hyper speed right now. And there is a, a ton going on. And, and so before we hop into the subjects today, which which I'll list here. So one, we want to talk about what opportunities exist for independent films that have already been completed. So are potentially already been sold and undersold at a distributor right now. What are those opportunities about uh, what's happening in sort of the larger uh, ecosystem, uh, the, the macro sort of ecosystem of, of Hollywood and film and, the, and globally and uh, as well as globally, I should say. And the reason we focus on that, even though we're an independent film podcast, is because what happens uh, above us can happen below us. Right. And it will affect us uh, as independent filmmakers one way or the other. Um, so it's important to keep tabs on that, and understand how the people behind the curtains are moving a, a little bit. Um, and so um, before we hop into those subjects, I want to talk about uh, our entertainment savior for this quarantine, for this safer at home period. And that is the miracle that is Jason Bateman and uh, Laura Linney and um, Ozark season three. It is just, um, it is just uh, uh, the best thing on, and uh, I finished it in two days. I'm not ashamed to say that. And here's so, so I understand this correctly, just to let the audience in, you have not seen one episode of this show, correct? You are correct. And is this and, and is this just something that, you know, every every once in a while, there'll be a show that just slips through the cracks. Like I'll meet people who haven't watched Game of Thrones. Is this that or did you make a conscious decision to say, you know what, staying away from that one? No, no, it's just that, man. You know, I think I'm the way that I consume content is a little bit different than most, you know, Um I also have to balance the way that I consume content around having small children in the house and consuming their content. And then, you know, when I'm done 
doing all that. I have to figure out how I want to spend my time. So it's all about balancing all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm not necessarily looking for like the next greatest TV series, if you want to call it, or you could episodic series that might be on Netflix or even prime. I think uh, my wife and I check them out every once in a while to see what's there. We kind of dabble in the, in a couple of them. You know, we start out with a, with one and then we're like, um, you just got to turn me off and then we'll switch to another one. Uh, but yeah, I think that's just it. It's just, I'm a little bit more, you can say fickle when it comes to that content. So I'm, I'm bouncing in and out of various things that might interest me at one time mm-hmm. and haven't really got into some of the, the major series that are out there. Well, if you want a masterclass on storytelling, this would be the show for you. Now I'm not saying it'd be the show for you and your family, but I'm saying it would be the show for you if, if you like that sort of thing. And I believe that you do. And well, I want to have to do what you did and just go ahead and binge it. You know, well, it, it's interesting because I <laughs> want to talk to you about this because you know that I do the English and, and you do the math. And, and so, <laughs> which is funny because in real life you do the English and the math and I just stand there looking pretty. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm wondering what is the best strategy for binging, right? Because in my mind, I've told myself, okay, because I don't have a lot of time and I'm in a similar boat as you, right? Like I, like I have to think about how I use my time. There's like so much work to do, right? It's better to just burn a couple of days and just get it out of my consciousness. than try to, you know, watch it one episode a week at a time. And that might have been the genius of of television programming and scheduling, and you know the, the way we knew it growing up, which is that they understood people have things to do, and so we're just going to give you one episode a week so you can continue on with your life, uh, versus sort of be hooked in because the show is good enough to where you're going to want to see the next episode right after the last one finished, right? Like like season three ended for me, and I said, "Well, shit, I'm ready for season four right now." Yeah, like, I want it I right it. now. Right. So what do you yep. think is the best using putting on your math hat? What is the best strategy for watching a show in which all the episodes of a season are posted, published? Released? So I think it, I think it's 100 percent about your consumption. Right. So if you're a, a you know, rabid consumer you know, of content, then I think binging is the best because you, you want to just do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, right? You can wait for the next season to come out because you're filling the gap with some other content, right? And that's the way that, you know, like Netflix, you know, even Amazon, they're all working. It's like you finish one and you can literally jump into the next one, whether it's got one season, two seasons, seven seasons, it doesn't matter. You know, like I've watched a couple that have, you know, only one season, you know, and they just move to the next one like nothing happened. Right. It's like, <laughs> you know, you, you hit it and quit it. You didn't move yeah. on to the next. Nothing to but see here. We're just going to load it, this next series up for you. Exactly. But if you if you're not a rabid consumer of that kind of, of that content, then you want to spread things out because it's more like when you get the opportunity, you watch. Mm-hmm. Right. And that means you don't have a large chunk of time. So, and that's usually the way it is for me, generally speaking, is that like, no, I've got this small bit of time here that I'm going to just carve away, you know, or carve out just to watch something. And usually it's to watch something with my wife. So then we pick content that we like together and it's like, oh, okay, on that night, 
we'll sit down and we'll watch our show. And what's good about that is that it gives us something to look forward to the next week, right? Oh, we get to see the next episode of our show. Whereas we've done that whole thing where we like watch the whole thing and then we were just disappointed because, you know, now it's just that desire for it and that anticipation is gone. Mm. So, so that's the deal. So I think it's, like I said, all about your consumption habits. For me, I'm on the side of, you know, I carve out kind of special time for my wife and I to sit down and just and watch something. So that becomes one of the special things that we do during the week. Uh, and if there is a show that I really want to watch uh, myself, like Seis Manos on uh, Netflix, then I'll just sit down and I will just binge that. Because if I don't binge it, it'll take away time from the family <laughs> later when I'm trying to watch each and every episode. That's what I'm saying about that's why I binged Ozark. But there is a discipline at play, right? Like Because I think also in this age of, of content consumption, you have to turn a deaf ear to a lot that happens in other media forms all around you. So, for example, I'm one of the people who hasn't watched Tiger King. And, um, and that's because everyone blew it for me. Like I couldn't avoid it. I couldn't avoid it on podcasts. I couldn't avoid it on news. I couldn't avoid it on sports radio. I couldn't avoid it in social media circles. I couldn't avoid it on um, YouTube and people just, everyone talked about it at once and said what it was about. And then I immediately was like, you know what? I think I knew what this is. Like there were news articles. It was in variety. Like it was, it was like, okay, like, I think I know what this is. And now it feels like I'm very late and it feels also pointless to kind of watch it. Like no one said it was great cinema or, 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 you know, really well done, you know, camera work or, or writing or show or that, like, it, it was just sort of, you know, shot porn, you know? So yeah. Sensationalism. Right. So if you do, and the other thing is if you really are interested in watching a show, you have to kind of turn off you know the noise all around you so to me again i i get what you're saying about stretching it out and i and i think there's merit in it but i think there's also merit to the other side which is to binge it all in a day or two because then you don't have to avoid your other uh media outlets and and content types uh in the event that your show is viral and so I will talk about Ozark three cause it is uh, season three cause it is kind of viral and uh, it is really well done. And it's something everybody wants to see. And I'm not going to give anything away, Nick, unless you want, you know, in case you want to catch up, but here's the deal. I'll give you the synopsis, uh, which is that Jason Bateman's character makes a really bad decision. They were going back to season one here, makes a, mm-hmm. makes a bad decision. He's a financial planner decides to follow his partner's play. He had a partnership very much like me and you. So it'd be like, if you decided to get in, get in bed with a drug cartel and I just had your back, right? But it was like you're doing it. Well, those things went poorly. The partner gets uh, murdered and I'm now forced to find creative ways to launder money for this cartel. Uh, and if I can't, then me and my family die, right? Yep. And so the show sort of maturates. There's more happening there. I don't want to give anything away with the relationships and the family and how it works. And they, they live in Chicago. They move from Chicago to the Ozarks in Missouri. Okay. And, yep. and um, throughout this entire show, 
all of the, and so this is my theory. So I just want to give you my theory quickly before we, we can move on to the topics. But here's the thing. People think it's about what I just said it was about, right? Or sometimes people think it's about relationships and marriages and things like that. Or it's about, you know, human greed or, you know, no, no, no. I had an epiphany. It was like on episode nine, I had the epiphany. And the epiphany is this. It is a master class. It is a very good, artistic, stretched out take on the power of the people with whom you associate and what that can do in your life. So from season one, episode one to season three, episode 10, every plot point has twisted and turned on someone, the core family, the core characters have associated themselves with. So the old saying is you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with essentially synergy. Right. You're talking about synergy. Yeah, Yeah. got it. And so the lesson you're supposed to take from Ozark as a series is be mindful of the five closest people in your life. Their decisions can become your decisions. Their fuck ups can land literally on your porch without you, you knowing it. And it's been true um, like that my whole life, you know, I've had, I've had people who, uh, you know, back in the day, this is a long time ago, but I've had people who, uh, would take my phone number and I'd get calls from bill collectors. Like we're looking for so-and-so I'm like, so-and-so this isn't their number. They don't live here. <laughs> like, that's jacked up. like what the fuck <laughs> but I'm saying that stuff's happened a lot but it's because right. I was associating closely with these people and so once I was able to associate myself with a better group of individuals none of that fuck shit happened anymore you know what I'm saying right. like, yep. like so it was it, it, watch the show because it teaches you those lessons if, if for no other reason so I'll get off my soapbox about Ozark three. Do watch it. It's fantastic. Kudos to you, Jason Bateman. Thank you for having my back during this coronavirus. Um, it's like you predicted it, man. It's like, <laughs> it's like you were in Wuhan and you made the virus and released it upon the world just so that everybody could have eyes on you, Bateman. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate you for that. Thank you. So, <laughs> so right. We appreciate you we, for we, that. We appreciate you for that. So, uh, the other part we don't appreciate you for, Jason, but to show, yes. Uh, so uh, right now is the craziest time for independent filmmakers who already have a film done. And I don't know if you have been reading the... So we we kind of saw the tea leaves on this, right? Um, yep. <laughs> so we talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago. And internally with some of our clients, we've been talking about, hey, see if your distributor will go back to some of these larger streaming companies and see if you can get a better deal or see if they will buy the film because our prediction was that they were going to run out of content, you know, much faster than normal. So they're in, so I think people think, okay, the theater slate is, is messed up, right? The slate is messed up. Uh, big box theaters in trouble. Release dates have been shifted. Blah, 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 right? But 
without very little consideration on how this impacts the streaming services. Now, most people say, okay, well, it, it affects them in a good way. Yes, but it also means that like part of part of what happens is, is they have their own release schedule and they expect you to watch things at a certain time. And when you burn through that stuff, then you go find another channel to watch and burn through their content. And that's just human behavior. So what's happening is the Netflix, Hulu's, the Amazons of the world, Apple's of the world, they're going out and they're buying the films that would have made waves at uh, South by Southwest that were going to be bought at Sundance. And that's that first top layer of films, right? Those are the curated independent and what Nick would say, the quote unquote independent in air quotes, because they're not truly independent because they have a list stars in them and they have multimillion dollar budgets and, you know, et cetera. But that's that top layer that'll get bought, but that will actually get burned through as well. And so there'll be a second layer where I think independent filmmakers in the true indie sense where they had to go out and find their own financing and they're working with, they don't necessarily have an A-list star, let's say in the, in the film, the story could be great, et cetera. This is your opportunity. So, because the bottom line is, is they can't buy every curated film for $50 million or $30 million or $10 million. This just doesn't make good business sense, right? They're going to want some of these films they can buy for $50,000, or $100,000 or $10,000. And those will get their chance too. Um, and, and, and so that is happening right now, Nick. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, like you mentioned, it's curated content. And what we really mean by that is that, you know, if you talk about a South by, or you talk about Sundance, uh, basically your entry into those film festivals, you know, basically someone allowed you into the community. Right. And, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about, Chris, was, you know, yeah, there's a bunch of film festivals that uh, should have happened, of course, this year and won't be happening. So that's, you know, a great opportunity to go grab that content. But there have been, you know, the, the top notch, if you will, film festivals that we just talked about over the past two, three, five, ten years. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's content out there that, you know, has not been acquired but has actually won an award at one of these things or has been nominated for an award. So there's content out there that really hasn't seen enough of the light of the day uh, that is still available for these streaming services to grab hold of. So, you know, I think that we're still in the, in the business of film. So the streaming services like Netflix, uh, even Amazon and others, uh, Hulu, they're still looking to work with businesses, right? They're not at the point of, you could call it desperation that they're looking to go contact independent filmmakers themselves. Uh, so it still makes sense to get, you know, a, an agent, a sales agent or have a distributor. That's where they're going to go first. Cause they're doing business with businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, this is an opportunity for, you know, you to get your content out there to a distributor and say, Hey, look, you know, I know there might've been a pass on this before, but there's a new opportunity now, you know, what do you think? You know, and as Chris said, you know, you got to have your, your sales pitch ready uh, because you know, you won't be the only one. There's lots of folks out there. There's a lot of content out there that is deserving of the screen. And this might be the opportunity for that content to make it. So, yeah, you got to get out there, get your sales pitch ready, contact some distributors, some sales agents, 
and see if they can push your content because yeah, at some point, you're going to, you know, the, the general populace will burn through all of the stuff that Netflix, Hulu, Amazon are putting on their front page. And uh, if they get tired of those folks, then they'll go straight to TikTok. And, you right. know, TikTok has a never ending stream of content that's available. So. So, yeah, this is a, a, a great time to get out there and push your stuff through the appropriate means. There's a, a meme going around where basically all the businesses that are profiting from this coronavirus pandemic are being put like in that Scooby-Doo meme where Fred is saying, now let's see who's really behind COVID-19. Oh, yeah. Yep. And he takes the mask off and it's that company. So I, I've seen Zoom get that treatment. And um, uh, what was the other company that that <laughs> that, that was done to? Um, well, shoot, doesn't, doesn't Johnson & Johnson make like all the... Like the toilet paper and right. You know. Oh yeah, it was Charmin. It was Charmin. The <laughs> yeah. person was Charmin. Exactly. And like so, I think this third one's going to be Quibi. So Quibi launched today, and here you have a time when everyone is at home and what and what Hollywood executives are calling theaters theaters with locked doors is what is the analogy kind of used. Um, we're you know we're we're in theaters with locked doors. We can't escape. So whether it be TikTok or Snapchat or streaming service, uh, we're going to watch it. And now here's Quibi with 10 minute episodes. Um, very YouTube like, so they're really, it's funny. They're kind of sitting in between YouTube and, and TikTok. Um, and then they're, and what's driving them is they have the same sort of approach that Apple TV plus had, which is okay. We're going to have really great shows with, with known names, faces, and talent, like people who are unquestionably talented, right? Award winners. And we're going to spend a lot of money on the front end to get that. But I think that um, you're going to burn through those shows at, at between four and 10 minutes each episode. So you're going to burn through shows like that. And there's going to be a feeding frenzy. So I, I would also say, if you are creating a web series or have created a web series, it's better if you already have it and it's pretty good. This is a time to reach out uh, and get that agent or just maybe even potentially skip that step. If you can't get an agent and go right to a sales team that's young and hungry and trust me, this is just like anything else in the world, right? You go through 12 years of school and then four to eight years of college, and you will remember a small handful of those teachers. Why is that? It's because they're not all created equal. They're not all created equally, right? Some teachers are better communicators. They care more. They have a unique way of getting their things across. And the same thing is true in the movie business. Um, you know, if, if your movie didn't sell, uh, after it did a festival run, um, or if it didn't, or if it, what we would call undersold, so it sold to a distributor, but the distributor wasn't able to push it out. That might just be that your distributor doesn't have great salespeople or, or doesn't have a big enough sales team, right? And everybody can improve. And so it's important to remember that just because you failed in the past doesn't mean you'll fail in the future because you can go get different salespeople if you want to, to sell your content into the streaming services. And like I said, if you have a web series into Quibi, Nick. Yeah. And I was going to say that when you talk about web series right now, because of Tiger King, uh, the documentary episodic 
is getting some life pumped into it. So, you know, if you've got a documentary episodic out there that's complete and is curated, right, has been at a minimum accepted into a film festival, uh, better yet, if it's been nominated for an award and better yet, if you've won an award, uh, this is a great opportunity to get your content out there. And I think that, you know, folks like Netflix and their competitors and, you know, Hulu and Amazon and Quibi uh, will be looking for that content as well. So this might be a, a, a boon for documentary, I'll say this documentarians uh, in the episodic space, because, you know, again, Tiger King, people are talking about it. You know, there might be a little bit more sensationalism around it, which is why people are talking about it. But, hey, we'll take it. Right. If you've got a again, if you've got an episodic, go for it. Push your content. Yeah. And, and you have to get your mind right. And you have to, again, make content that fits the wave we're in. So, again, we've talked about the waves of the industry. We're in the fourth wave of the movie industry and rapidly approaching the fifth wave. The fourth wave is where everything is about streaming. Right. And and social and, and content uh, shows up on uh networks that feel like social media networks, right? That feel like social media um, applications. And so, uh, I mean, there are a handful of creatives that I absolutely love, Nick, that have sent me budgets that were in the 10 to $20 million range for document docu- uh, documentaries. Wow. And it's like, okay, but you're not even in the lane you should be in right now. Right. Like, like right now you can create things like the, the need is so strong. Like for as much content and as endless as TikTok is, there's still a desire for more. Right. Yep. It's like the market for content is insatiable and your ability to make like, trust me, there is not that big of a gap between the documentary that was made for 15 grand and the one that was made for 10 million. Like there's not that big of a quality gap between those two that justifies that dollar price. Right. So, right. so if you, if you tell me there's a difference between a um, $10,000 documentary and a $100,000 documentary, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I see that. I see that. But then every time you go up a hundred thousand more, Right. Because you, you'll you'll see somebody make a movie for four hundred thousand dollars and they'll say, man, it looks like that was made for five million. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah, OK, sure. you can take that as a compliment, but you can read into that using your pragmatic competence. Right. And understand that you could have spent five million dollars and got the same. The same reaction. quality film. Yep. Yep. OK, so see how it works. So it's like, OK, well, why are we spending this much money on a documentary Nick, in this time, in this wave? Yeah, I think it's what from from an indie perspective, I think that's that's the gold star, right? Like that's what they're striving for is that that multi-million dollar thing. And who knows, maybe the you know, the individuals who are doing this have certain benchmarks in mind. You know, they want to be like that. And in order to be like that particular film or those particular films, they feel the need to spend that much. But yeah, you know, you and I, we always look at it and say, yeah, but you're, you're an indie, right? Your lane is an indie film filmmaker. Uh, the people who pay tens of millions of dollars are potentially going to places where the security costs a million dollars to even get to that place. 
right? It might cost them another $2 million to pay off certain people to give you access to those places, right? And that's that kind of stuff. That's that kind of like, you know, almost dangerous stuff. Or you paid, you know, let's say, it's, like you said, that's $100,000 for the actual documentary, uh, but you paid $9 million to have Tom Cruise be the narrator, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So it's it's things like that where, you know, you have to really look, like you said, what's your lane? Yeah. You know, what are the things and, and what, you have what, access to? And what is the lane that the market wants you to be? Like, what, where is the market going, right? Because you can buy a Bentley right now. I think they just released a new one. Beautiful car, Nick. I mean, you get in that. Whew. I mean, you're feeling good. You're feeling on top of the world. It's $350,000, right? But it still takes gas. Right. See what, see what I'm saying? So yeah. where's, the, where's the universal car market going? They're all going to electric. And only... It doesn't even make economical sense anymore to buy a gas car that's $50,000. Because you are the people that are hanging on to, to the horses and buggies now. It's just, it's, it's done. It's already, it's already over. Like, right? Like, so if you follow cars, you know, it's already over. Everyone is already committed to making electric cars. Every one of them, Ford, Nissan, Audi, Volvo, everyone. So what are you doing? Unless you just want to hold on to one and see what it's worth later. And if you're a collector, I get that. So if you're a collector, so, so what I'm saying is, is if you're a filmmaker and you want a film that costs that much, you can do that. You can buy that Bentley and be, it can look really good. But you're going to realize three years later that you could have made the same film on a different type of equipment with different people and in a different set style and in a, in a different price range and made the same thing. Yeah. And you're going right. to kick yourself. Yeah. Or it's that, um, you know, you try to make that 10 million, $20 million documentary and the market has already said no. Yeah. Right. It's the market is just telling you, no, like we're not going to do that. That is not a thing that we're going to do. So you keep barking up the wrong tree and it's not, and you never get to make it right. because the market has literally gone in a different direction and you're unwilling to shift uh, to where it is. But yeah, I agree. You know, I think, you know, like you said, some of this content is getting in, like specifically Quibi, you know, is getting in the middle of, you know, your normal Netflix, you say 30 minutes to an hour episodes down to your, what is it? Four to 10 30 sec. Well, even 30, oh, 30 seconds second, on TikTok, yeah. right? Yeah, so, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the middle, you've got Quibi. And so basically when I saw Quibi, I was like, yeah, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to steal uh, some of the market share back from the social media outlets like TikTok. Right. They're saying, no, we, we need to have shorter content because that's what people are consuming. Uh, but you can't do, you know, top actors and top production quality in, in 30 seconds. You wouldn't do that as a disservice. Um, so I think the, the lowest they were willing to go was 10 minutes. You know, but what you're seeing, again, is, you know, like you said about the, the folks behind the curtain, like, what are they doing? They are stepping into this space of shorter content. You know, so how are filmmakers adjusting to that as well? Are filmmakers, 
you know, still holding on to feature length films? Are they still holding on to, you know, 30 minutes to an hour episodics? Mm-hmm. You know, like what, what are you chasing at this point? You know, you, I think you really need to think about how the market is shifting, how people are consuming content. And with that in mind, you know, that, one hold of the on, things, let me, let me interrupt you there. Yeah, that's, go. that's the one. That's the one, the one you just said, how are people consuming content? You always have to have your audience or your customer in mind when you package a product for sale. And if you're paying attention to how content is being, uh, well, let me say that a little better. Content is being consumed right now. Then you already know what you need to make and how you need to make it. And I know that might not be as satisfying, but I think that like Tiger King did not cost $10 million. Right. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so I was going to basically, I'll pay you back off of that as well. But to continue the thought is that, you know, we continue to use the word or the term content. And the thing that I'm not sure that all independent uh, filmmakers understand is that they are content creators, right? Because the idea of being a content creator seems like it's a new thing. It seems like that's a YouTube thing or a Vine thing or a TikTok thing or a Facebook Live thing, right? Anyone's a content creator. Uh, Well, I think independent filmmakers need to realize that they're content creators. And one of the reasons why they need to realize this is that their competition is YouTube and TikTok and Facebook Live and Instagram Live. Like, that's your competition. Yep. Right. So you can't at any point be an independent filmmaker and turn a blind eye or, you know, turn an uppity eye, you know, to any of these other uh, content vehicles that are out there. You know, you got to learn them. You got to learn what, you know, where your audience is and why they're consuming content and the way that they're consuming it. And you might have to make a shift. It's like when we tell a filmmaker, hey, I think, you know, for some of the content you're doing, you know, TikTok might be a great opportunity for you. And then we hear, well, I don't make dance videos. Right. Well, you don't quite understand what that what that platform is all about. Right. You got to get in it. You got you to see what people are doing, what they're creating, what people are watching. And you'll see that it's much more than that. So it's the same thing across the board with all of these platforms is that they're offering a different mechanism for delivering content. And your content could do very well there. And it may not just be that short form content that you create. That could be a stepping stone to you creating something longer form. But you're able to build an audience on those platforms that will then consume your other content. Exactly. So, yeah, I just all that to say that, yeah, indie filmmakers, please understand that you are content creators and there's a bunch of different ways to get your content out there. So, you know, don't turn a, a blind eye to any of them. Right. And a lot of most creative people we know are actors and it's a great time to be an actor right now if you're trying to build a brand. I mean, you just literally do what you love or what you say you love and then just film it and, and do it. And I've worked with so many wonderful people that, I, that, that we just absolutely just love um, who still have a dream to, you know, make a documentary or make a show and put it on ABC or NBC. And it, and it just kind of, it's not that it's not, feasible or anything like that. it's just that that's just not where it's going like, right like even nbc and abc will tell you they're, they're they're going to be streaming channels soon um like in our lifetime 
That's what I mean by soon, right? The, yep. the relative soon. So um, good stuff on that. And, and, and again, not preaching. Uh, we're right there with you. And, and I think as every wave goes through, we actually have to adjust our console and adjust our thought leadership, adjust the way we create things to fit, you know, what's happening out there too. Um, the other interesting thing before we wrap, Nick, I want to talk to you about is these two. And, and this is something I think as creators, we all have to keep our eyes on. And that is the, the, the bit that is happening in the, in the sort of macro sort of global movie scene. And, and the bit that's happening is this, there's two sides of it. The first bit was made or the one side of the bit was made by universal and by Warner. And they said, okay, you know what? We're going to release our movies for $20 a film on streaming. So that would be invisible man, Emma trolls, birds of prey, the way back. Okay, so those films are all out on streaming and their bet is, is that they can make money while everyone's sort of in what we called earlier. Well, we didn't call it, but we took it, attributed it to uh, an unnamed filmmaker in this Variety article from the latest uh, issue of Variety. Uh, They're in their, uh, you know, theaters with theaters. Yeah. they're saying, hey, they're going to watch it just like they're in a theater. I'm going to pay this for it. We'll stream it. We'll make our money. And the other side of that gamble or the bet is that other uh, studios have decided to postpone. So you look at uh, films like 007 that's going to come out now at the end of the year instead of, you know, in April when it was supposed to. Right. Um, and other films that have just rescheduled and push back their release dates. Um, I think those that are streaming, Nick might try to run them back through the theater. Now I know there are boards that govern sort of the release windows. Is that possible? Do you know if that's legal? Are you able to kind of go to streaming and then come out of that and then run through the theater? Yeah, I think you can. And I think you said it at the beginning of our discussion that, you know, the rules are being rewritten as we speak. Right. So, you know, all of this can change. Those boards are going to change their minds about things because, you know, it isn't Hollywood that's going to be suffering uh, from the, the film not being in the theaters, the theaters. <laughs> right. Yes. So and, and they are a a part of the the industry. And if you want to try to save that part of the industry, then, yeah, you sure as hell, you know, take it from streaming and, and put it back out there. But I'll say this, uh, that only works for films that provide the appropriate cinematic experience. You know, it's like watching, you know, if you're a, a Marvel fan, you know, Avengers Endgame, you know, in your house versus in the theater on IMAX. Yeah. Right. There's there's just a totally different experience. You know, you can have a, a wonderful home theater, but it's still not the same. Right. And even like you mentioned to me, Chris, it's like that no matter how hard Orville Redenbacher tries and no, how hard you try at home, that theater popcorn is something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, and so it's all part of that cinematic experience where you go and get to watch you know, this thing that's made for the big screen you get to have your, your soda, you get to have your candy that costs Always way too much. imagine that when you have movie theater popcorn with the butter on it, Nick, it just turns your arteries into a slip and slide. 
<laughs> can you just close your eyes and picture all your arteries laced arteries. with that butter and, and, right. and, and, and some little COVID cell sliding down that thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man, when I, when I eat that popcorn, I just envision Dave Chappelle sprinkling some crack on the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> the same way Salt Bay yeah. does with salt, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think about that is Dave Chappelle standing over the in, in the back just sprinkling crack because it doesn't Yo. make it how good that popcorn is, man. Exactly. Yo, <laughs> I used to say that about Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwiches that they were sprinkling crack on them. And, <laughs> and then I watched uh, Morgan Spurlock's documentary, um, the chicken documentary. God, I'm forgetting the name of it. Oh, God. Um, it's really great. But, uh, yeah, turns out Chick-fil-A has been putting MSG in their chicken sandwiches, which is, which is, uh, yeah. which, you know, is Chinese crack. Yeah, well, that, exactly. And that stuff is in, it's in Cheetos, dude. Like MSG is in everything. You know, I try my best to keep that stuff out of my house. You know, like I tell my kids, no MSG, you're going to eat this all natural, whatever fake mm-hmm. Cheeto thing that I bought. And, you know, then they find one that they really like. They're like, oh, I really like this. Dad, good choice. And then, you know, a month later, I go and I just happen to compare the ingredients of the thing that they really like that I bought to something else. Freaking thing has MSG in it. No wonder they liked it so damn much. So it's like, yeah, it's in, it's in everything. But, yeah, that's that's the experience, you know, that we're talking about where in the theaters, like you're getting all that good stuff, all the things that remind you of the theater experience you're going to get. So I definitely see that if they provide the right cinematic experience, that the theaters will open their doors uh, to films that have been in streaming. Because again, it's once this lockdown stuff goes away, man, and people feel comfortable, which still is going to take some time. People are going to want to go back. Right. That's that's going to help provide a sense of normalcy. That's the other part of it, Nick, that's going to be so interesting to watch and potentially devastating for, for other markets. You're exactly right. There's just going to be a flood on the market, right? And because these big Hollywood films have restructured their release dates, they're forcing other countries like France and Germany and, and, and other places that would run, you know, U.S. movies as maybe 50 to 60 percent of their box office anyway to reschedule and consider putting their top films on streaming early as well, because the last thing they want is to, is for their very top film, right. Or, or their big budget film to come out in September. And then it just get completely washed by a flood of American made films. And this is, this is the big concern globally. And I don't know if everybody knows that, but in China and in India and in Germany, uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, France, Spain, you name it, they have their films, but most of their box office is still American films. And so I don't know if that speaks to our hegemony <laughs> or if it speaks to how great we were, we are making films, but um, that's the big fear for them, Nick. Yeah. It's going to be a delicate dance for them because, you know, if there are, so like you said, some things are being pushed out later, but some things are being released now. Um, some of the things that are being released now may end up in the theaters later. Uh, there's going to be a dance where it's like, okay, well, those European, you know, um, Asian films, they might say, okay, well, 
we'll release our new stuff when they release the stuff that was already streaming. Right. You take the bet on the fact that most people have seen it at home and aren't going to pay for it again or aren't going to you know, want to watch it then. So, hey, look, you know, you've already seen this. Well, why don't you watch our, you know, big box movie? Why don't you watch one of these? So I think it's going to be there. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting for them. There's it's definitely not black and white as to how they're going to have to, uh, you know, release their content as all of these windows are shifting and, you know, one wants to believe that there's going to be this huge, you know, uh, I don't know, wave of people running back to the theaters just because they want to get out. Uh, that still may be several months down the road. It still may be past September, you know, people that, that flood of people might not happen until next year when people feel more comfortable because remember September timeframe hits the flu season again, right? Fall and winter season. Mm-hmm. You know, so if there's a resurgence of, you know, COVID or anything like it, you know, even cold and flu, you know, I mean, once you've heard about COVID and you hear somebody cough, that might make you nervous. Right. Right. Yeah. So the fact that they're shifting things into the fall and winter might actually be another bad period where people are thinking, you know what, it's better to just stay home. Yeah. So who knows? It's, it's just it's, at this point. At this early on, it's a bit of a crapshoot. So we'll see what happens come July, really. Um, what's what's going to happen? Well, I actually think, you know, so my prediction is, and if I had to give someone advice in, in one of our consults, I would tell them their window is very short to get these sales done. You know, I tell them between now and June 30th is pretty much like your window to get top dollar for content that was either unsold that's completed or undersold. Because my guess is that the foreign markets are going to come in and start selling for top dollar as well to these streaming services to avoid an avalanche and and new releases from the U.S. market. And that's going to take money and attention from those big streamers away from that second rung of indie film creator. Yeah, because it goes back to, like we said earlier, it is about curated content. And just as we have curated content at the major film festivals around the United States, there are major film festivals around the world, you know, where content has received nominations. We'll we'll just start with entry into those. Uh, They've received nominations and they've won awards. And that dates back, you know, if they want to go back at least, let's say, five years of content, that is tons of content that is now available. So I think that's what we're saying. Independent filmmakers literally across the globe you know, this is the best time to, you know, talk to your distributors and get your stuff pushed because there's a need for content right now. And as you said, this is the period of time uh, because as we continue to social distance and self-quarantine, stay at home, you know, we are doing our part to, so, you know, flatten the curve, as they say. And at some point it will flatten out. Right. And there will be just as there has been hysteria over the pandemic, uh, there will be some cheers in the streets when that curve begins to flatten. And we see this thing, um, you know, start to fade a little bit into the background. So, you know, this is the time definitely to get your content out there. Yeah, no question about it, Nick. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time, hopping on. We did get some good news today from the University of Washington, um, which is the largest medical center in the Northwest. Um, Looks like 
like, uh, you know, it's still grim even when it's good news, because when you hear a number like 80,000 deaths instead of 2 million deaths, it's hard to cheer. But or when you hear, you know, it's going to flatten around early June or late May versus, you know, July, August, that's still not great. But but hopefully everyone stays safe. Everyone stays healthy. And I can't wait to see everyone out there again in person, um, you know, doing doing our coffee shop runs uh, like, like we do. So, um, if you have questions, you can contact us at contact at bonsai creative. You can reach out to us, ask us those questions. So that's B O N S A I dot F I L M. So contact at bonsai.film, or you can reach out to us on social media, like most of you do, which is at underscore bonsai creative on Instagram and on Twitter. You can go to Facebook and search for bonsai creative and we'll come right up. Um, you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. Uh, Nick is at, they call him Mr. Bucks and I am at flame in your heart. And that is spelled F L A M E I N U R H E A R T. So flame in your heart, reach me on Twitter. We can talk directly there. And, um, if you've been, um, compromised financially by, um, this, this global pandemic, um, reach out to sbtfnashville.com. Uh, I am on the task force for film along with Tamara Trexler, the wonderful Tamara Trexler, and we can potentially help you out. And we are developing you know, resources as a group as we speak and trying to get all the data. And uh, again, make sure you visit sbtfnashville.com and tell a friend as well if they're affected. Nick, send us home with the Bonsai motto. Yeah, man, as always, be better, be creative, and be engaged. Love it. Talk to you soon. Yeah, brother. All right, go watch Ozark Season 1, Episode 1 right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it shall be binged, my friend. All right. Talk to you soon, brother. All right, man. Take it easy. Peace. Laters. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative be engaged. And thank you for listening.